Uh, we're in this game plan series is beginning today. That's why you see all these people wearing their jerseys, okay? A few of you are like, hey, Chad, where's your jersey? I'm like, I'm in ministry. I can't afford one, right? So uh, <laughs> so I don't have mine on. And I want to be all things to all people. So I don't want to wear something. Then we become frenemies after today. But um, I, I do kind of want to go back to last Sunday. <laughs> so if you weren't here, I made a bet with our Redskin fans. I said if the Redskins win the game against the Cowboys last Sunday afternoon, I would wear a Redskins jersey for preaching, okay? As you probably know, the Skins did not win their game, and uh, all these Redskins fans were like, yeah, we're all in for that bet. But then I said, if the Cowboys win, you have to pay double your offering today. So (laughs) we're expecting a really large offering from the Skins fans. And you've already said it, so if you don't do it, you sin, okay? church. Anyway, uh, glad we can play along. I felt pretty good about my chances. That's why I made that bet last week. But uh, thanks for wearing your jerseys. Listen, some of you are like, oh, I forgot my jersey. It's five weeks. Wear your jersey every single week. You don't even have to worry about what you're going to wear for church, okay? Just wear your jersey. Wear it next week. Wear it over the next five weeks because we're have a good time. Uh, I, I want to tell you a story as, uh, as we get started today because uh, this theme for this series is kind of got this football metaphor behind it, and I'll talk about that in a second. But I want to I tell you about my football experience, okay? Um, I, in my ninth grade year of, of high school, I was going into the ninth grade, and, and so I decided to go try out for the JV football team. A bunch of my buddies were doing it, and I thought, yeah, this sounds like fun. I'll go do it too. Now, I didn't grow up playing football. The only football I grew up doing was playing with the neighborhood kids and, and teenagers over across the street from our church. We had a huge field, so during the football season, we'd go out there, we'd play these football games. That was it. I grew up playing baseball. So up to the ninth grade, I think I had like nine years of baseball and zero years of playing football. Went to practice that very first day and got done. I was like, whew, this isn't like baseball at all. (laughs) Lots of running. In fact, I think we ran the whole practice. I'm like, man, I don't know about this. The next day came back and, you know, same thing. We were running a lot. But then we we split into our our positions that we wanted to try out for. And I thought, man, I can catch the ball pretty well, so I'll I'll go out for tight end. So I started practicing with the tight ends. The next couple days was doing that. On the fourth day... The tight end coach actually wasn't at practice. And so they moved us into the defensive line position to practice with those guys on that fourth day. Again, I had zero experience playing any kind of organized football. And so we get there, and and that particular day, the defensive linemen are hitting the tackling dummy. Okay, And uh, and so it's my turn, and I, I get in my stance, and I'm trying to watch everybody else and emulate what they're doing. So I get in my stance, I run, make the little cut, and go toward the tackling dummy, and I hit it. And it's like crickets. Like coaches don't say anything. None of the players say anything. Again, I've never played before. So I'm like, I must not have done a very good job. And so it's my turn, and I pick up the tackling dummy, and I hold it. This always happens in life, right? The guy behind me, like I was in high school, ninth grade, 10th grade. I wasn't the height I am now. I was actually pretty average, weighed like a buck nothing. I mean, that's how big I was. The guy behind me for JV looked like he was about 350, okay? (laughs) We're going to call him Big Marv for right now. So Big Marv was behind me, and he was like salivating for some reason. I didn't know why. Gets in his stance, runs, makes his cut, and comes and hits the tackling dummy. Remember watching cartoons where uh, the cartoon character gets hit and flies like 100 feet in the air? It actually happens in real life. Big Marv hit the tackling dummy, which I was, as a dummy, was holding on to, hit the tackling dummy, which hit me, and literally 
I mean this. When I say literally, I mean literally. Literally, I fell back like 10 feet. Had my helmet on, thankfully. Landed on my back. Hit my head. Blacked out for a moment. And then popped up. And was like, whew. There weren't crickets at that moment. Everybody was screaming and yelling. And woohoo. And they were giving Big Marv a high five as little old Chad's trying to get up off the ground. <laughs> I'm thinking, I got this. I'm going to show these guys this next time. So I did. My turn. Same thing. Ran. Hit the thing. Crickets. Big Marv's back there. Big Marv starts. Big Marv comes toward me. Big Marv hits the tackling dummy. Hits the tackling dummy, which has a dummy. I'm still holding. I go another 10 feet back, do the exact same thing, follow my back, hit my head, black out for a moment. Finally come to, and I look up, and they're just cheering Big Marv along. I mean, they're making fun of me. They're giving him high fives. I mean, it's this big moment. I'm like, man, what did I do wrong? Later, one of the guys is like, hey, you're actually just supposed to hold it and move out of the way and let them hit it. You're not supposed to actually try to hold it there. He's like, thanks. I appreciate that. Next morning, I'm in my bed. My dad comes knocking on the door. He's like, hey, man, you going to football practice today? I was like, nah, I think I'm sticking to baseball. Um, throughout this series, we are going to, again, use this metaphor of football to describe God's plan for our life. And if you know much about sports and football specifically, and I know some of you love football, you love this time of year, I love it. Others of you, you loathe it, you hate it, you can't stand it, I I get it. Um, But just know we're going to talk some sports metaphors over the next few weeks. But when it comes to football, a coach has a game plan in place. Like the coach knows what their plan is. That's why you, you practice and you try out so the coach can come up with a game plan for the season that's ahead. And, and for each game, there's a game plan. Some coaches will even kind of plan out their first 15 plays on offense and will run them no matter what. But no matter what's happening within the game, there's a game plan going in. There's a game plan within the game plan that takes place if things don't go quite right. I, I mean, sports are about game plans happening all the time. But what about life? Do we have a game plan for our life? And more specifically, does God have a game plan for you and for me? And so over these five weeks, we're going to look at this game plan that God has for each one of us. And here's the truth. It's going to be different for each one of us because we're created differently in who God wants us to be. And so over these weeks, we're going to look at the game plan God has for you and for me. Now, As we think about a game plan and what that looks like, we have to start with the fundamentals. Some of you are Green Bay Packer fans. I saw a couple of Packers jerseys here, one up front. Okay, some lady last week, I think it was second service, she was cheering on the Green Bay Packers during the sermon. I had to tell her to stop. But but we love it. We're glad there's some Packer fans here because you've had one of the greatest football coaches of all time, Vince Lombardi, as a a head coach. Uh, Lombardi actually didn't coach the Packers very long, uh, only eight years. But in eight years, they won five NFL championships, two of those being Super Bowl I and Super Bowl II. His players would tell that at the beginning of every single season, the very first practice that they would have, Lombardi would bring all of the players together. He would sit them down there on the field, and he would grab a football, and he would look at the football, and he would say, Gentlemen, this is a football. And then over the next few moments, he'd start to describe the football and how it was made and its purpose and its use and And again, he's not talking to ninth grade chads who haven't played organized football before. I mean, these are guys that have been playing football for years. They know all of this. And yet for Lombardi, he said, this is the best thing that I can do to help you be the best that you can be on this field. Look at this lyric or lyric. Look at this quote from Vince Lombardi. He says, what we're going to do now is go back to basics And we're going to learn, drill, and practice the fundamentals until we become better at them than anyone else in the game. 
if you do this with me, I will make you champions. He's like, I don't care how fast you are. I don't care how quick you are, how strong you are. We're going to begin at the fundamentals because if we don't understand the fundamentals, we will never, we will never be a great football team. And so it begins with the fundamentals, the basics. Gentlemen, this is a football. Over the next few moments, I want to talk about what I think are two of the greatest fundamentals that you and I need to know and understand when it comes to seeing and understanding God's game plan for our life. And the first fundamental is just exactly what I said. God has a game plan for your life. God has a game plan for your life. We kind of talked about this earlier this year uh, during the summertime. You know, what is my purpose? Why do I exist? Uh, why am I here? And, and that's really what we're talking about here. What is God's game plan for my life? Why am I here? Because I have a hard time thinking that we just live on earth just to take up space, just, just to breathe the oxygen that's in the air. And like James says, we're here for, we're like a, a mist that, that comes and goes. I don't like looking at life that way. There's got to be a bigger meaning, a bigger purpose to life. And so what is God's game plan for our life? Because I truly believe God has a plan, again, for you and for me. To understand what God's game plan may be, I think we have to understand a little bit about God. Now, I don't think we can fully define God, but we can have an idea about who God is. And so I want to talk about God's will. All right, because I think if you look at scripture, if, if you look at God, there are three wills that we see that God carries or that God has as a characteristic within scripture. The first one is the providential will of God, the providential will of God. Um, this basically says, I'm God, I can do whatever I want. OK, uh, if you're a parent and let's say your kids are watching uh, cartoons one day, the amazing world of gumball. It's one of my Jake's favorite. I love watching it, too. It's actually pretty good for adults. But anyway, um, little plug there but uh, but let's say Jake's watching the amazing world of gumball one day and I walk in I grab the remote out of his hand I sit down on the couch and I turn the channel to something what I want to watch that's hypothetical parents right we would never do that there's not any of us in here that actually do that but if we did and our son or our daughter's like hey what are you doing I'm the parent I can do whatever I want it's kind of the same idea here with God the providential will of God is God's like hey I'm God I can do whatever I want. If we look at the Old Testament, we look at Scripture, we find moments where God does this. Um, God chooses Abraham to be the the forefather of the Jewish nation, and and through that, Jesus is going to come through that. We may look at Abraham and say, hey, I see some flaws here. I don't think this is the person I would pick. God's like, I don't care what you think. You're not going to change my mind. This is what I'm going to do. I'm God. I'll, I'll do what I want. Or maybe even Moses. Would we have chosen Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I don't know. Maybe you had some issues with Moses. And, you know, Moses gave some pretty good reasons why he shouldn't be that leader. But God's like, hey, I don't care. I'm God. I'll do what I want. Or think about the 12 disciples. Jesus chooses those 12 disciples. And and God was the one who who said, hey, these are the 12 guys you need to choose. And I'm sure, well, I know that if you and I were to pick those 12 disciples, probably about three-fourths of them would not have made that team. We're like, look at this guy and his history and his past and this past. Let's get some people who actually fit here. But you know what? God's like, I don't care. I'm God, and this is the decision that I have made. This is the path that I'm going to take. And so the providential will of God says, hey, I'm God. I can do what I want. 
Then we have the moral will of God. And the moral will of God, God basically says, hey, here are the lines. Just color within these lines. Here are the, the do's and, and the don'ts. And here's the things that you can do and you can't do. Uh, again, a great example of this is Moses. God comes to Moses like, here's the Ten Commandments. Show these to the people. Talk about these with the people. Make sure they live these out. And if they do these things, if they color within these lines, they're going to stay away from trouble. Their, their life's going to be great. And so that's really this idea, this moral will of, of God. Some of you, uh, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but some of you are back in church because of, of your kids, right? Uh, maybe you grew up in church or, you know, maybe you went sporadically. Uh, for some reason, you either didn't go to church or you got to this place like, hey, I don't want to go to church anymore. But, you know, how, how many of you are back in church because of your kids? And the reason is pretty simple. You look at the church, you know the church teaches morals, right? The do's and don'ts. Here's the lines, color within these. And so you're back at church because of your children. Now, please know, we are so ecstatic that you are back in church. And we hope that your kids aren't all only learning about the morals of God down in Journey Kids and Journey Teens, but, but you are too. Because all of us, we, we want to know what are the do's and don'ts of life? What are these lines that we can color within? And so that's where God is too. God's like, here's the providential will that I have, and here's the moral will, and then there's the personal will of God. This is the one that says, God, what's in this for me? Now, now if you think about those three wills, we're, we're okay with providential because it's like, it's God. God can do what God wants to do. We're, we're good with the moral will because, you know, we, there should be some do's and don'ts. There should be some lines that we can color in. But the personal will of God, that's the one that we're really intrigued by. That's the one that we really want to know what God's up to. And the reason is because we're selfish. Like, what's in this for me? Why am I here? God, what's the path that you want me to take? And we're not very patient when it comes to asking that question. Because we want to know now. God, tell me now, should I take this job? Should I move to this place? Should I make this decision? God, I need to know right now at this moment. God's like, whoa. Hold up there. Take some time. Be patient. I'll I'll lead you in that direction. But we have such a hard time understanding and being patient when it comes to the personal will of who God is. Here's the deal when it comes to the personal will of God. It's actually never very clear. Very rarely does God show up in your life and say, boom, this is a step I need you to take. And we're like, wow, that's exactly what I was looking for. Most of the time, the clarity comes over time. It comes from being patient, and it really comes from us making decisions within our own life. I mean, we can pray, God, make this clear, open this door up, let me walk through it. And again, maybe that happens But most of the time, it's the decisions that we make that sometimes we feel like God is leading us on that lead us into this place of where we fully understand the personal will that God has for us. Every single day, you and I make decisions. We make, on average, about 35,000 decisions on just one day's time. Now, some of those decisions are pretty just helpful. Uh, Brushing your teeth is a good decision to make. Taking a shower, good one. Putting on deodorant, uh, actually wearing clothes out in public. All of these are really good, helpful decisions we make. Mundane decisions like, do I take the train or the bus to work? Uh, do I listen to music or a podcast on, on my way to, to work today? 
Do I wear a blue shirt or the other blue shirt to work today? I mean, mundane decisions we make. And then tough decisions, uh, like do I hit snooze or get up? Do I watch TV? Do I work out? Do I eat an apple? Do I eat a Snickers bar? I mean, these are the tough decisions we make, but every day we're making these kind of decisions. Now, we don't really think about it, but if you were to add up all the decisions you make, I think you'd be surprised. We make tens of thousands of decisions every single moment of every single day. But then they're the really big decisions we make. And those are the life-changing, life-altering, life-impacting decisions we make. Maybe it's coming out of high school. Do I go into a trade? Do I go to the military? Do I go to college? Uh, do I marry that person? Or, or do I move on from that person and find someone else? Uh, do, do I buy this house? Do I, I rent this townhouse? Uh, do I take this job or that job? Do I move to this city or that city? I mean, These are big decisions that we make in our life every single day. And we're making decisions all the time. Our life is all about decisions. But could it be that because of the decisions that we are making, that they impact our life now and in the future? Here's what I mean. The decisions that you made, let's say back in college, how many of those are still affecting you today? Or when you got married or that first job, or maybe even earlier than that in high school, middle school, you made decisions that here you are today, and because of those decisions, they are still impacting your life in this moment. And here's the deal. In the future, this future place we're going to get to, the decisions that we're going to make today on this Sunday, they have the potential to affect who we are at that point in time too. Look, we make decisions all the time. And those decisions, they impact our life and who we are today and who we will be tomorrow. It's because of the decisions we've made in the past. I I love this statement. It says, our life is the sum total of all our decisions. Our life is the sum total of all our decisions. That who you and I are today, it's based on all the decisions that we have made over time. Now, how many of us <clears throat> would go back and change those decisions that we've made? I think every single one of us in this room would say, hey, you know what? There are many decisions or this, there's this specific decision. If I could go back, I would change that because I can see where I am now at this moment and the impact that it has on my life today. I mean, we go back and we change so many. I know I would. But could it be Could it be that God looks at those decisions and says, you know what? You tried to take your own path. You tried to go your own direction. I'm going to use that now. And I'm going to use that so that I can show you how your decisions have brought you to this place and how I work in such a way that I'm going to take you to this new place. I'm going to use those decisions to to show you what my will is for you in your life. Because I think that's what God does. God takes those choices, those decisions that we've made in life and says, hey, I can, I can take that. I can make that brand new for you. Let me show you what I can do with who you are. And so what we find is God working through those decisions that we have in life. And God's saying, hey, I've got a plan for you, a game plan for you. Let me show you what that looks like through the decisions that you have made. There's a story in the New Testament uh, a guy, we hear his story, his experiences, a guy named Saul. 
When we first meet Saul, he's not what we consider a good guy. He thinks he's doing the right thing. He actually thinks he's following the moral will of God, but he's not. He has um, become this person who actually takes people who are following Jesus and begins to throw them in prison, begins to execute them. And so the very first experience we have with Saul is around the story of a guy named Stephen. Uh, We talked last week about the beginning of the church and how it was like 120 people. Then like in two minutes, it was over 3,000 people and how they had to put the structure and leadership in place. Stephen's one of the guys they chose to help with that. So Stephen was not only a Christ follower, he was also a leader in the church. And so we find him in this trial. He's been arrested. He's on trial. And he has this opportunity to just kind of tell his side of the story. And so he begins to talk about his Jewish faith and how he grew up and then talks about Jesus and how Jesus was the Messiah and the connection back to the Jewish faith. And and then he basically tells all these religious leaders that are there like, hey, you should follow Jesus too. And this really bothers them. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at chapter 7, 8, and 9 of the book of Acts. We just got a couple little pieces we're going to hit there. But in Acts chapter 7, we read these words in Acts 7, verse 57. It says, At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. We get to know Saul a little bit later. His name is changed to Paul, and he's a very different person when when it's changed. And we're going to look at that in a second. But the, the first connection that we have with this guy named Saul is right here at this moment as Stephen is being executed. Look at Acts 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing him. Killing of Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Here's Saul who thinks he's living out God's will. You know, he thinks he's doing what God has called him to do. And so he's living this out in his life. He's making decisions that become a part of defining who he truly is in that moment. And and, and again, he thinks the steps that he's taking, the path that he's following, is the path that God has him on. But the reality is this isn't God's will at all. Saul is doing what man wants to do. Saul is doing what Saul wants to do. But God has other things in store for Saul. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way... Now, the church in the early time, the people weren't called Christians. They were called the way. So that's what this means here. Uh, it was changed a little bit, a little bit later on in Acts. <clears throat> Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Um. This leads us into the second fundamental here. Jesus equals everything. That Jesus equals everything. That if we are to live out God's plan for our life, we have to understand that Jesus is everything. Jesus isn't just a component, not just a piece, not just the part. 
But Jesus is everything. Jesus encompasses our whole life. Jesus is the, the focus that we have in life. And Saul experiences it at this moment when Jesus shows up on that road to Damascus and says, hey, God's got a game plan for you, Saul, and what you're living right now, and it's not that plan. It's not in the will of of who God is. In fact, when we look at that, it's like Jesus calls an audible for Saul, right? Uh, If you know football terms, if you don't, let me do my best to explain it because I only played for four days, right, in (laughs) JV. So uh, let's say the offensive team, your team goes out on the field, and the quarterback has the play from the coach, and he just shares it with the guys in the huddle, like, hey, here's the play we're going to run. And so the guys get out, and they get out on their positions, and the, the quarterback looks out at the defense, and he knows the play that the offense is going to run, that they're getting ready to run, but he looks out, and he's like, whoa, something's not quite right here. I, I think the play that we've got called isn't going to work for the defense that they've got called. And so the quarterback will yell out an audible, whatever that may be, and that, that just means they're changing the play. And so the guys will get back into the new position, and, and hopefully it'll work, and, and they can get the yardage they need. They can score whatever uh, they're trying to do. That's an audible. Jesus jumps in and calls an audible for Saul. He's like, Saul, I'm going to change the play, dude. Because the play that you're playing is not the play that God has for you. God has a different play. And, and Jesus jumps in and is like, this is the change. This is the play we're going to run now. Wouldn't it be amazing that if in our life, as we were kind of traveling down our road, making our decisions and choices, like Jesus jumped in, like, hey, I need to call an audible for you right now. Now, now, maybe it's happened. I'm not saying that that hasn't happened to some of us in here before. That Jesus hasn't jumped in. God hasn't jumped in and like, hey, I'm going to call an audible for you. I need you to take a different path. Or it'd be even better if you and I, when we're out and making decisions in life, we looked out and we looked at the defense. We're like, whoa, man, if I, if I make this choice, if we run this play, it could be trouble for me. Wouldn't it be great if we called an audible on ourselves and like, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in this direction. Now, rarely do we do that. Many times we give in, we run the play, we get sacked, we get hurt, there's pain. But it'd be amazing if God jumped in and said, hey, I'm going to call this audible for you. Because that's exactly what Jesus does here with Saul. Jumps into his life and changes Saul forever. And in that, Jesus is everything or becomes everything to Saul. If we scoot forward into the book of Colossians, which is actually a letter that, that now who's, Saul, whose name has been changed to Paul, he writes. Here's what he writes in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Here's Saul, who's now changed to Paul, who knows that Jesus is everything. And as he writes those words in Colossians, that's all I see there. Is that now Paul is saying, Jesus 
literally is everything. He is the invisible image of God on earth. And God has said, Jesus, this is your deal. You have everything. You are everything. And everything about our life, everything about humanity connects back to this one thing. That Jesus equals everything. And as we go through our lives, we have to understand that's exactly what Jesus is. That Jesus equals everything. And if we can grasp that even a little bit, we can begin to understand God's game plan for our lives. Paul got this. He understood this. And he lived that out. And in fact, if we kind of look at Paul, we see how this plays out, especially if we go back to looking at those three wills. The first one here, the providential will of God. Here's what happens to to Saul. He's still Saul at the time. He becomes this follower of Jesus. They they spend all this time, they invest in him, and they teach him about the faith. They teach him about Jesus. He actually wants to go back to Jerusalem to meet the apostles, to meet the disciples, because he's like, man, these guys, they spent three years with Jesus. I want to know what they know about Jesus. I want to hear about these experiences. Well, the disciples hear that he wants to come back into town and to see them. They don't want that to happen because they think he's a spy. They're like, oh, he's going to come in, infiltrate us, going to get, you know, images of all of who we are. Then he's going to go out, tell the religious leaders, they're going to come in, they're going to take us all, they're going to put us in prison, they're going to execute us. So they're afraid of him. God's like, dudes, no, this isn't how this works. I'm in control and you're not. This is what I want to have happen. And, and so Saul, Paul, ends up going to Jerusalem and learning from, from these leaders and he becomes this incredible pastor and church planner planting churches, changing lives, impacting lives all over the world. So there's that providential piece, but then there's that moral piece. Saul thought he was doing the right things at first. He thought he was coloring within the lines, but, but Jesus showed up, and Jesus is like, no, here's what it looks like to color within the lines. This is what it looks like to, to follow me. Here are the do's and don'ts. And, and so Saul, Paul, began to live that out within his life. And then that leads to the personal will of God. All those decisions that that Saul had made up until that one point where he meets Jesus, he's made all of these decisions, and he thinks he's doing the right thing. He thinks he's making healthy choices and healthy decisions, but he finds out that God doesn't work the way that Saul thinks God works. And God's like, no, I've got a game plan for you, Saul. I've got a will for you, and what I need you to do is to follow me. Give your all to me. I am everything. I'm not a part, I'm not a component, I'm not a piece, I'm everything. Follow me and I will show you, I will lead you into this plan that God has for your life. And when Saul gave in to that, again, God used him to do amazing and incredible things. And so much happened in our world to spread Christianity because of Saul being changed by God and understanding that Jesus was everything. Here's what I would tell you this morning. Looking at his life, God has a game plan for you. I don't believe God's game plan for you is to be addicted or to get into more debt or for your marriage to crumble or for your relationships to be broken or to give into that sin, to say those words, to act that way. I don't believe that's God's game plan for us. God has a game plan for us that is an incredible game plan. It's an amazing game plan. Maybe Jesus needs to jump into our life and call that audible. Maybe we need to call it audible. Maybe somebody else needs to jump into our life like, hey, let me call an audible for you right now before you, you take this step. But I truly believe God has a game plan for you and, and for me. 
And part of that begins by understanding Jesus equals everything. Like there's nothing else. There's nothing more than that. That Jesus is everything. And for some of us, we may be trying to figure that out, right? We're, we're here and we've got questions and doubt. And man, we're glad that you're here. This is, should be a safe place for you to be and ask those questions. But you're at that starting stage. And, and for others of us, maybe we're beyond that. But we have to be reminded, hey, Jesus is everything. That I'm trying to live my own life. But the reality is, God's got a plan for me. And the only way I can live out that plan is if Jesus is everything. And so maybe you're here this morning, and I would say that there are probably two next steps that we need to take. And here's the first next step. Uh, for those of us that are in that place where we're trying to figure out this Jesus thing, maybe for you it's, it's actually finally saying Jesus is everything. And, and taking the step of baptism. And being able to say, hey, you know, I, I've, I've been through this place, and you know, I, I know I need to do this, and, and now's the time I need to do this. Or, or maybe for you, like, hey, I've been following Jesus for a while, but, but I need to take this step. So maybe baptism is your step. You need to be able to say, hey, I want to show you what, what God is doing and, and how God is working and that Jesus is everything. And so for you, it may be taking that step of baptism. Uh, what I'd love for you to do is take that connection card in front of you and put your information on it. And it says, I want to be baptized. Maybe you just got questions. You can just ask questions. We, we'd love to meet with you. Our, our prayer team will be back here in the back at the end of our service. Go back there. Give them that card. They'll get it to one of us on staff or one of our leaders. And man, we'll have that conversation. Because that could be your next step, to finally say Jesus is everything. And then for others of us, or actually for all of us, here's what I would leave you with as a next step, to pray. Pray. I want you to pray this week. And here's the prayer that I invite all of us to pray this week. God, show me what the will is for me and my life from you. God, what is your game plan for me? And next week, we're going to come together. And we're going to start talking through what the details are of God's game plan for each one of us. We come to this time where we take communion as a community together, as a church community. And it is that opportunity for us to kind of focus our thoughts. I mean, everything that we do on Sunday mornings, honestly, comes to this moment around this table. As we take this bread, as we take this juice, as, as we think about our lives as we think about what God's role is in our life and uh, how much we still hold on to, how much we, we give away, look, God has a plan for you and for me. And in the end, it comes down to understanding that fundamental that Jesus is everything. And that is why we celebrate communion every week, to be reminded of that, that Jesus is everything.